Good morning. Uh, thank you for coming this morning. And we are privileged to have you celebrate with us this fact, this historical fact that on the morning, Sunday morning, early in the morning, Mag- Mary Magdalene came upon the tomb expe- expecting to find um, the body of Jesus, and he was gone. He is alive. And here we are a couple thousand years celebrating with us. And we recognize that, that uh, many of you might be new to Veritas, so you don't kind of know what's going down here. This is all new for you, but we're just um, glad that you're here. We will get you a seat. Um, we'll find you a seat somewhere. Um, there's some seats open, but um, our, our uh, greeters and ushers will, will help you find one. But, but this, this might be new to you. I don't know um, what your church experience was, if, if you have an uh, experience growing up in church. Mine was that uh, some of my memories of church, we had a church bulletin. Did any of you guys grow up in a church with church bulletin? Uh, the bulletin there, yeah, I see some, some heads nodding hands. So we had a church bulletin, and they had the order of service in there. Now, for a lot of people, that's good, kind of know what to expect, you know, what's coming up. Um, going through the, the order of service. For me as a kid, it was terrible. It was torture because it's like, it's like when you're going to Disney World or something, like, are we there yet? Are we there? You know, you're looking and we think we're never going to get there. And I wasn't sure that I wanted, you know, they talked about eternal life. That's not something I was sure I wanted because I thought, you know, like this service never ends. That's probably what heaven is, just forever. And there's no, like, there's no order of service because it just like never hits the bottom, right? It just keeps going. But there was one word in the bulletin that I loved. It was the best word. It was the word at the very bottom. And it was the word benediction. I loved that word because in my little kid brain, it just meant the end. It's over. You're free to go. Like, you're not trapped anymore. Why do we do this, right? We just are all waiting for that word, the benediction. And I didn't know what that word meant until last week when I had to study this passage. No, Uh, (laughs) Hebrews 13, uh, benediction. I mean, if you think about the word like benefactor, benefit, it's to do something good. Something good's going to happen. But diction, that last part, to dictate, to speak. So it's literally, it's a good word spoken over you. I can't think of something we need more than a good word. And we come to the end of our study of Hebrews, Hebrews chapter 13, and it ends with a good word, a benediction. And this is exactly what we need. I don't know if you notice this, but the world's kind of going crazy out there, right? We could use a good word, couldn't we? And this, the timing for this benediction as we close Hebrews is such perfect timing for us, Easter Sunday. Here's a word of hope to us from Hebrews 13. It'll be on the screen. You can follow along here. Hebrews 13, 20. Now may the God of peace, who brought up from the dead our Lord Jesus, the great shepherd of the sheep, through the blood of the everlasting covenant, Equip you with everything good to do his will, working in us what is pleasing in his sight through Jesus Christ, to whom be glory forever and ever. This is packed with encouragement. I want to highlight just a couple reasons that we have to leave happy and hopeful today on this Easter Sunday. And all the good news flows from this first statement. It says, now may the God of peace... The God of peace, 
He's not a God who invented peace. He's just, that's who he is. He's a God of peace. And this word peace means just wholeness. Rest. It's the world as it ought to be. It's the world that none of us have ever really experienced. It's the world that's always eluding us. We think that when we get to this stage of life, we're going to have peace. We're going to have rest at this point. And it just always is eluding us. And he's saying, the God, of, the God of peace. There was an article this week by a social psychologist, Jonathan uh, Haidt, from In the Atlantic, or Haidt, I think is how you pronounce his last name. And he was trying to explain what's happened to America this past 10 years. He's trying to make sense of it. And he comes back to 2009. Something happened in 2009 that forever changed the course of human history. It was a little symbol. You know, Facebook, you guys are familiar with Facebook, is big. You know, a few billion people on Facebook. Well, Facebook came up with this idea. And it's this symbol that changed the course of human history. There it is, the like button. Now, what's significant about that? Well, Twitter came out and they one-upped Facebook with a retweet button. You can like and retweet content. Now, Here's why that's incredibly useful data. Now, for the first time, we can see what kind of content engages people. What posts are most likely to be shared? Well, what did we discover about this? What did the like button show about the human heart? We are drawn to posts that trigger our emotions but especially the emotion of anger, and especially the emotion of anger toward all the outgroups, all the people out there. And what we saw from this little button when we clicked this, what we saw is we all in our group, we really like this. Unlike all you other people out there that just don't love people, right? All you other cowards, like we have these, these right of All of a sudden, we saw that these algorithms started putting this data and people into these different camps and kind of sorting us out and this, this tribalism just out of control. And so here we are, what we learned is hot takes, divisive content are good for ratings. If you want to be popular, say something edgy, say something controversial. Bad news is big money. And the human heart is drawn toward this drama. So how do we fix this? It's like we've opened Pandora's box and we can't undo these algorithms that are just dividing us. And so how can you have peace in a world that thrives on this sort of unrest? And it's not just all the people out there. It's us. It's, it's in here. So how do we fix it? We need a benediction, and here it is. The first thing is we encounter a God of peace. The first thing you need to know is that God knows how to put things back together. That's his specialty. Redeeming broken people and things. We can see that the world is so messed up. There is no politician that will figure this out. There is no smart person in Silicon Valley that will be able to change the algorithm to make us unified again, right? We are broken because it's not just the system, it's in us. 
and all the king's horses and all the king's men can't put the world, much less my own heart, back together again. And here comes Jesus, the God of peace. You will never find peace apart from God. He is the source of peace. And here's how he restores peace on earth. It says, may the God of peace, who brought up from the dead our Lord Jesus, the great shepherd of the sheep through the blood of the everlasting covenant. The second thing you need to know, the second good word this morning is that God puts humanity back together by sending us a great leader. That's ex- we need a leader. We feel that. We all want that. And God sends us this great shepherd, the perfect leader. I want to tell you about him. There's four things I want to tell you about our great leader. One, the first and most obvious thing, it says here that, that he was raised from the dead. God, this God of peace, brought Jesus up from the dead. This is the first time in Hebrews we encounter the word resurrection, and we have seen through the book all these sacrifices. Remember the priests killing these animals. And now, a lot about death, but now we see resurrection. Every human leader has this in common. They're going to die, but not Jesus. I want you to imagine, you know, you're campaigning for Jesus this November. He's running for office, and you're campaigning for Jesus. What's your slogan? What do you say about him? Is he going to fix gas prices and inflation? You're probably not going to focus on that. How about this one? Jesus. He solves your death problem, right? That's it. Like he conquers death. That's what Hebrews is telling us. That's true greatness. That's the great shepherd that he talks about. That's a leader that can provide real hope for us. Not to mention ending war, sickness, and on it goes. Jesus, the second thing he says about him is he's the great shepherd of the sheep. He is the great shepherd of of the sheep. Now, I don't know how you feel about this, but the writer of Hebrews just called you a sheep. Now, how do you how would you feel if someone comes after you today, comes up to you and just says, "Hey, you know what your problem is? Um, you're you're just a sheep." Is that an encouraging thing? He's like, "Thank you so much. Thank I just really appreciate that." No, right? Those are fighting words. You're just a sheep. You're one of those sheeple that just does all the things, right? The government says or uh, people say, and you're like, "Oh, no, I'm I'm you know, I'm not one of those sheep. You don't want to be a sheep because what is a sheep? Just that mindless animal that just follows the pack around and just like follows the other sheep off the edge of a cliff. We've heard those stories about sheep. Their only defense mechanism is to huddle up. It's to find the crowd and hope that they're like more toward the middle and they don't get eaten by the wolf, right? The, the sheep has no defense mechanism. And the Bible says in Isaiah 53, we all, like sheep, have gone astray. Each of us has turned to our own way. And you might say, yeah, see, that's the thing, Mark. I'm not a sheep because I don't do what anyone tells me. Yeah, that's also part of the problem because now you're still a sheep and you're by yourself. The most dangerous place to be. Growing up, my grandfather, uh, he got us sheep. He had sheep for us, and this is part of the way he helped us pay for college and, and have this little business of sheep shearing, and we, we had sheep. And, and I remember these sheep, and there was, um, there was a stray dog on the, that would come to the farm called Sammy. Sammy the stray dog, 
And Sammy would come and he would get a sheep all by itself. And the sheep wouldn't even try to outrun the dog. The sheep would just fall down on the ground and just lay there. And Sammy, the stray dog, would start, start chewing at the fur on the sheep, which was kind of cute until it started getting down to the skin. It started, started digging in a little bit. And those sores on the sheep from Sammy, the stray dog, would get infected and then kind of get filled up with maggots. And we had to power wash the sheep off and the, clean the wounds out. And, and it's nasty, right? Because that's what sheep do. They can't fight. They don't even try to fight. Like my uncle said, it's the only animal that looks forward to dying. <laughs> like the best thing it has going for them is that it's going to be butchered, right? That's it. That's us. So you know what we need? We need a shepherd, and that's Jesus. John 10 says, I know my sheep. I call them by name, and I lay down my life for them. That's how great Jesus is. Even the best leader out there, the person that you passionately vote for, and they don't know your name. They can't know your name. But Jesus says, I know all my sheep and I call them by name. Isn't that cool that Jesus knows your name and he knows you better than you know yourself? You maybe in your 50s, 60s, 70s, and you're still getting to know your personality. You're still taking personality tests to figure out who you are. And Jesus knows because he created you and Jesus knows your name. And Jesus brought you here this morning. The person sitting in your chair or in, on the floor, wherever you are, like he knows your name. That's why you're here this morning. And the Bible says that he's the, he's the shepherd that leaves the 99 sheep to get the one wandering sheep. Think about how amazing that is. He finds us when we wander away and Sammy the stray dog has come and cornered us and we're just laying there helpless and the good shepherd comes and he picks us up and he brings us back. And I just think this morning, how many of us have just been wandering away and Jesus brought you here this morning to speak a good word over you. And here's what we know about human leaders. Power corrupts and absolute power corrupts absolutely. It's a scary thing when a human gets too much power, isn't it? But what makes Jesus such an amazing leader is listen to how he uses his power and authority. The third thing, it says, through the blood of the everlasting covenant. He uses his power not to spill the blood of his enemies. Remember, Peter, put away your sword. That's not how this is going to go down. He uses his authority to die on a cross. He becomes the Lamb of God slain for the sins of the world. 
in the Old Covenant, in, through, the, through Hebrews, it's been talking about the sacrificial system. And a lot of this book is trying to make sense of how, the Old Testament. They used to kill animals, and that's weird. And how do you live as a Christian when you got all these Jewish festivals, Yom Kippur, and all these other things that are killing animals? What do you do? He makes it clear here. No, this blood is different. It's an everlasting covenant. You don't need to go sacrifice animals anymore because it is finished. Jesus is the Lamb of God. In Isaiah 53, when it says, all we like sheep have gone astray, each of us has turned to his own way. It says, and the Lord has laid on him the sin, the iniquity of all of us. He put it on Jesus. Even in Revelation, this is so amazing that even in Revelation for all of eternity, the saints around the throne of God are crying out, Worthy is the lamb who was slain. It's like even for eternity, a million years from now when we're in heaven, we're going to be looking at the the wounds of Christ and being like, I I don't understand this. I, I can't get my mind around how the king of the universe would do this for us. That is the kind of leader we have, the great shepherd of the sheep who through the blood of the everlasting covenant, he is He has purchased us. And the last thing, verse 21, it says, he will equip you with everything good to do his will, working in us what is pleasing in his sight. The good shepherd doesn't just save you and say, good luck. Like this is some insurance policy that's only good when you die. No, he equips you. The power and presence of Jesus comes in you and empowers you to live a new life. Some of you might think, you know, I'm, I'm stuck. It's impossible to be stuck with Jesus. Well, you might be like, well, I'm not stuck, but I'm in a marriage with someone who's stuck. They're stuck. <laughs> okay, well, guess what? God has given you everything that you're gonna need to live out the mission of Jesus in that difficult marriage. He's given you everything you need to overcome that addiction, to overcome that sin. He's given you everything you need to have joy in the midst of your trials and your suffering. He's equipped you. He's given you a new identity, a new purpose, and he speaks the good word into your heart, and he sends you on mission. He's saying, hey, Veritas, leave this place with a good word in your heart. He's equipped you to do with everything good to do his will. So the question as we, as we reflect on this benediction, on this good word is how do we respond? How do we respond to him, the good shepherd, the great leader? Jesus, he doesn't want your vote. He doesn't want you to just show up every once in a while at church to cast your ballot for Jesus. Yep, Jesus, I'm still voting for you, right? He doesn't want your vote. In fact, he wouldn't win any elections here on earth anyway, right? The road is narrow. Few find it. What he wants is your life. This leader, he actually demands your submission. And you are a sheep. 
And that's the only safe place to be, is following his voice and following him. And so as we close, I would just invite you to this morning, this Easter Sunday, to respond to this leader, this God of peace, this great shepherd, and open up your heart to him and receive your king this morning, your great shepherd. Let's pray together. Jesus, thank you that you call your message the good news. That no matter what everyone in this room might be going through, that, that into their Sunday morning, you remind them, you remind me that the tomb is empty and that there is hope. In this world, there is hope because you came to earth. You were crucified on the cross. You were buried in the tomb. And on the third day, that Sunday morning, you rose from the dead. I want to give you an opportunity to just say those, those words to Jesus in your heart. If you maybe... You're here and, and you've never really been, you've never really heard this story. Or maybe you've heard it a thousand times, but this morning is different. It's been kind of a mile marker on the interstate of your life, but now it's like a fork in the road. God puts that empty tomb right in front of you and you have a choice to make. Would you just respond to him? Lord, I'm yours. Jesus, you are our only hope this morning. So we, we thank you for what you've done for us. In Christ's name, amen.